Thanks for listening in today to our Friday broadcast of Abiding in the Word with Dave Love, the senior pastor of Calvary Castle Rock. Today we will be continuing our study in the book of 2 Samuel. So let's join Pastor Dave now. Soon your trials will be over. Abner understands what war is all about. When people die in war, that's what it is. It's war. It's on the battlefield. It's not to be taken personally. Abner, no doubt, because of all the pleading with Asahel and, and, and saying, don't come, don't come, stop following me, and then turning and having to defend himself and kill him. And then the dialogue with Joab after that and saying, go, leave, stop pursuing your brethren. And he said, unless we had spoken, I would have pursued you all night, but you're right. Brothers are killing brothers. After that, he's probably saying, okay, Joab understands I killed him in self-defense, whatever it might be. But he has no fear of Joab whatever the reason is. And the reason is he's an, Abner's actually an honorable man when it comes to battle. And he understands battle. He understands integrity. He understands honor. He understands courage. He understands all that stuff. And so now's the time of peace. Now's the time to lay down the weapons and let's talk, let's dialogue. And Joab uses that to his advantage. Now, he deceives, he deceives Abner to meet with him, but the whole time he's planning his death. That's premeditative. What Joab does, what Abishah does, is full-blown murder, is what they do. They murder. To kill someone in war is not murder. Okay, But when there is no war, and to plot someone's death, and trap him and deceive him, that is premeditated, cold-blooded murder, is what that is. And that's exactly what they do. Now, let me ask you something. This took place in the city gate. The location is pretty amazing, if you ask me. The gates of a city is where the elders of the city assembled to be able to uh, do land deals as well as to pass judgment. So this atrocity would have been seen by the city elders, which no doubt would have alerted David, and that's how David finds out of what Job has done. Job no doubt thought he was carrying out a, probably a righteous judgment, but it was vengeance is what it was. It was anything but righteous. The irony is the place. It's Hebron. Hebron was one of the six cities of refuge. I want you to go to Numbers 35 so we could read this. Numbers 35, starting in verse 9, it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel. Say to them, When you cross the Jordan into the land of Canaan, you shall appoint cities to be cities of refuge for you, and the manslayer who kills any person accidentally may flee there. There shall be cities of refuge from the avenger, that the manslayer may not die until he stands before the congregation in judgment. And of the cities which you give, you shall have six cities of refuge, if... If Job really thought that his case was righteous, he could have grabbed him outside of Hebron, brought him into Hebron, and said, we, we, we need a trial now. He killed my brother. Well, was it an accident? It was no accident. Well, what, what were the, uh, what's the situation? Well, we were in battle. That's a different situation altogether. That's not premeditative. He had to defend himself. They would have declared uh, Abner innocent of that. And so it says... Um, 
And of the cities which you give, you shall have six cities of refuge. You shall appoint three cities on the side of Jordan. Three cities you shall appoint in the land of Canaan, which shall be cities of refuge. These six cities shall be for the refuge for the children of Israel, for the stranger, the sojourner among them, that anyone who kills a person accidentally may flee there. But if he strikes him with an iron implement so that he dies, he's a murderer. The murderer shall surely be put to death. And if he strikes him with a stone in the hand by which one could die, he does die. He's a murderer. The murderer shall be surely be put to death. Or if he strikes him with a wooden hand weapon by which one could die, and he does die, he's a murderer. The murderer shall surely be put to death. The avenger of blood himself shall put the murderer to death. When he meets him, he shall put him to death. If he pushes him out of hatred while lying in wait, hurls something at him so he dies, or an enemy strikes him with his hand so he dies, the one who struck him shall surely be put to death. He is a murderer, and the avenger of blood shall put the murderer to death when he meets him. So the thought here is that you've accidentally killed someone. You go to the city of refuge. The next of kin is the avenger of blood. They will go to that city as well. They'll plead their case, and they will hear it, and they will declare the person guilty or not guilty. That's the whole point of the city of refuge. Now, in verse 33, okay, starting in verse 30, it says, whoever kills a person, the murderer shall be put to death on the testimony of witnesses, but one witness is not sufficient. Testimony against a person for the death penalty. Moreover, you shall take no ransom for the life of a murderer who is guilty of death, but he shall surely be put to death. What does that mean? Family members can't come and say, look, I'll appease you by just giving you this money. No, if you murdered somebody, you have to die, is what they're saying here. And here's the reason for it. Verse 33, so you shall not pollute the land where you are. For blood defiles the land. No atonement can be made for the land for the blood that is shed on it except by the blood of him who, what? Shed it. Okay. So David now has Joab and Abishai who murdered this man, Abner. What is it that David needs to do now? He needs to kill Joab and Abishai according to the law or the land's polluted, defiled, according to God's word. But he doesn't do that. David doesn't take any actions against Joab. And so here in verse 20, it says, and afterwards when David heard it, he said, my kingdom and I are guiltless before the Lord. Not really. Before the Lord forever, the blood of Abner, the son of Ner, let it rest on the head of Joab on the father's house and let there never fail to be on the house of Joab one who has discharge or leper, who leans on a staff or falls by the sword, who lacks bread. So he's calling down a curse on him. All these things keeps you from being where? In the sanctuary of the Lord. If you have a discharge, if you have some sort of oozing wound or something like that, if you um, uh, if you're a leper, you can't go into the house of the Lord. If you lean on your staff, if you are a cripple, you cannot go into the house of the Lord. If you fall by the sword, or, or, or meaning that um, uh, hopefully he's bringing down a curse that many of your uh, descendants will die tragically in war, um, or, or one who lacks bread, or he's bringing poverty upon them, that this will not escape the house of Joab, okay, because of this great atrocity that he's done. Be he who knows do it right, and does not do it to him in his sin, the Bible says. And David, your nephews are murderers. You're the king. You're the only one that can bring judgment upon them. You're the only one. Now, I would say this. David represents who? Lord Jesus Christ. And what did Jesus do? Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do. 
Jesus also paid the penalty of sin for, by his own blood. So he goes on, he says, So Joab and Abishai, his brother, killed Abner. I probably didn't mention this before, but as I've been saying, Abishai was also part of it. This is how we know right here in verse 30. So I probably should have mentioned that earlier. You're probably going, I, I only see Joab as being the perpetrator. Yeah, until you get to verse 30 there, and then we're told a little bit more information uh, that Joab and Abishai, his brother, killed Abner because he had killed their brother Asahel at Gibeon in battle. So Joab continues in this behavior, by the way. Um, as David says, I want you to save my son Absalom. What is, who's the guy that goes up and kills him anyway? Joab does. Okay, there's another guy by the name of Amasa that um, uh, David sends on an errand who, who was also a traitor. He was the commander of Absalom's army. But now since David is back, he's kind of back with David. And Joab never forgets the fact that he was the commander of a- Absalom. And so because he was delayed in getting back, he comes up to him and feigns a kiss to him and then stabs him and kills him. He's a very bloody man. As a matter of fact, when David concocts this idea of how we can kill Uriah the, uh, the Hittite, uh, one of his mighty men, because he slept with his wife Bathsheba, who is now pregnant. He pretty much lets Joab in on it and says, hey, I want you to bring this guy close to the wall and everybody pull back so he will die. And Joab has no problem with it. No problem with it whatsoever. Because in Joab's mind, the ends justify the means. <laughs> and we should never be in that place. And when you believe the ends justify the means, this is what's lacking in your character, integrity. So, verse 31. The appearance of, of Joab's actions is obviously uh, going to appear to many that David was behind the murder of Abner. Uh, because Joab is, is David's commander of his army. Um, David and, 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 and Abner have been enemies. So they're going to think that David was behind this. So in verse 31, then David said to Joab and to all the people who were with him, tear your clothes, gird yourself with sackcloth, mourn for Abner. And King David followed the coffin. And they buried Abner in Hebron. And the king lifted up his voice and wept at the grave of Abner. And all the people wept. And the king sang a lament, a tribute over to Abner. And said, should Abner die as a fool dies? Your hands were not bound, nor your feet put to fetters. As a man falls before wicked men, so you fell. Who's he calling wicked there? Joab and Abishai. Then all the people wept over him again. So he instructs his whole household to mourn. Um, David's feelings and conducts on the hearing of the death tend to not only remove all suspicion of guilt from him, but probably even turn the tide of popular opinion more towards him. Um, And so... The other tribes probably um, saw that uh, David was truly uh, sincere in this deceitful thing that has happened to Abner. Verse 35, And when all the people came to persuade David to eat food, while it was still day, David took an oath, saying, God, do so to me. More also, if I taste bread or anything else, till the sun goes down. Just so you know, that is what a normal fast is, is that you fast during the day, but then when the sun goes down, you do eat. And so now all the people took note of it. It pleased them since whatever the king did pleased all the people. For all the people in all Israel understood that day that it had not been the king's intent to kill Abner, the son of Ner. Then the king said to his servants, Do you not know that a prince, a great man, has fallen this day in Israel? And I am weak today. Though anointed king, these men, the sons of Zariah, are too harsh for me. That means uh, Joab and Abishai. They're too harsh for me. The Lord shall repay the evildoer according to his wickedness. And that's true. 
But remember David's responsibility now as king. Numbers 35, 33, blood defiles the land. No atonement can be made for land for the blood that was shed on except by the blood of him who shed it. So the land is defiled right now. The only way to take that away is if he allows or he acts like a king and leads and he actually passes judgment on Joab and Abishai that they need to be killed for the murder of Abner. And he definitely has it within his power to do so. But I would submit to you, even with those harsh words over Joab, even after he curses him and everything else, I would submit to you that was a very, very difficult thing for David to do because that's his blood. Those are his nephews. You know, the family reunions with his sister probably wouldn't be so great after that. But what is it that the prophet said to Eli? It says, you honor men more than you honor me. And I will honor those who honor me. And so quite often, your endearment to other people, your natural love and affection to other people, God will get in the way and say, you need to choose. You need to choose me or you need to choose them. And I'm calling you to do something. As I call you to do something, you know what it's going to do? It's going to hurt them. But what are you going to do? God honors those who honor him. And so David had an opportunity to honor God right there and he chose instead to honor his own flesh and blood because that would have been a very, very difficult decision to make. Now, I would say this about David. I think David grows in his understanding of the Lord. I think David grows in his relationship with the Lord. I think uh, David grows as a person. The word integrity is a very interesting word. In the Old Testament, um, in the Hebrew, it means innocence is what it means. Integrity means innocence. So in Psalm 25, 21, it says, let integrity and uprightness preserve me for I wait for you, speaking of God. Meaning this, that you have integrity. You're gonna do what's right, let God determine the outcome. And I'm here to tell you something. When you do what's right and you let God determine the outcome, I'll tell you this right away, that it probably will not, that outcome will probably not be appealing to your flesh. There'll be a time where you're going to have to hear from other people that I don't like you for saying that or doing that. Um, you know, I'm against that. Uh, you know, I don't believe you did the right thing there. Whatever it might be, the outcome of what you do, having integrity, probably won't be favorable to the flesh. The person who's a perfect example of that is Joseph. Joseph did what was right, let God determine the outcome. Look, I know I'm going to rule over my brothers, but they don't seem to be buying it right now. You know, I, I think they have a problem with it because I'm in a pit. I'm hearing them haggle for a price with me with the Ishmaelites as they're going into Egypt. And they sell them to them, sold as a slave to Potiphar. And yet it says that the Lord was with them and everything he did prospered in his hand. And then Potiphar had a beautiful wife. Joseph was a young, red-blooded male. She kept throwing herself at him, saying, lie with me, lie with me. And I'm sure he wasn't going, so what are you getting at? <laughs> I think he knew. He says, how can I do this sin against my God? Integrity. Do what's right, let God determine the outcome. No. And she did this every day, said, to the point where she grabs him and he has to flee, leaving his outer garment youthful lust is what the bible says and so he does that and he gets falsely accused thrown into jail it's not fair it's her she he doesn't do any of that 
And he goes to jail. He's still doing what's right, letting God determine the outcome. And this is the outcome that he determined. You're going to go to jail now. I'm doing the right thing. Yes, you are. That's called integrity. But let me work this out. Could you hurry? God says, I'm never in a hurry. Never in a hurry. So he's down there in jail for how many years? We don't know. Butler and Baker, thrown in jail too. Both have dreams. The butler's dream is much better than the baker's dream. As he asks Joseph to interpret it, he does. In three days, you'll be lifted back up you know, in front of the uh, um, Pharaoh doing your job again. It's all going to be great. And please remember when you get to Pharaoh that you remember me. The baker's excited about this. I had a dream too. This is my dream. And so he interprets it. Yeah, in three days, you are going to be hung. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, but you asked. So, and then the butler forgets all about him and he's still in jail. He's still in jail. But at God, the right moment, raises him up to interpret Pharaoh's dream. And God lifts him up to be the right hand of Pharaoh to save his family. Integrity, doing what's right letting God determine the outcome. And the outcome is usually not favorable to the flesh. He who walks in integrity walks securely, but he who perverts his way will become known. Integrity means innocence. You've done nothing wrong. He who walks with integrity walks securely. The integrity of the upright will guide them, but perversity of the unfaithful will destroy them. The righteous man walks his integrity. His children are blessed after them. Long term. They're going to grow up and go, you know what? My dad, my mom, they had integrity. And I saw it didn't favor their flesh most of the time. At the time, I didn't understand it. You know. It should be the ends that justify the means. Stand up for yourself. Defend yourself. No, I know what I did was right. But nobody else knows that. That's okay. In the long term, they will. We just have to hand it over to the Lord. Titus 2, 7 and 8 says, In all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works, in doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, the one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say. That is a Greek word. That's the only time integrity actually is used in the New Testament. And it means incorruptibility is what that word means. That no matter how bad it looks by having your integrity, you're still going to do it anyway. And you can't be corrupted. But if I do this, it's going to be hard. It's going to be so unbearable. Yes, but if you do this, it'll be a lot easier. And and nobody has to know. And Well, you're corruptible if you go that way. But instead you go, no, because this is right. Having integrity. It's doing what's right, letting God determine the outcome. David misses out on a perfect opportunity to do what had been right, even though it had not been popular. To take the life of Joab and Abishai for the murder of Abner would have been very difficult. So David took the path of least resistance. He won't always do this. He's going to learn from it. There's no question about it. 1 Kings 9.4 says that when uh, after David has died and God is now speaking to Solomon, he says this to Solomon. He says, now, if you walk before me as your father walked in integrity of heart and in uprightness to do according to all that I've commanded you, if you keep my statutes and my commandments. So 
David did learn integrity. And just like we've always mentioned with the Hall of Faith, now that David is dead and gone, only favorable things are spoken of him. Only those things that he's done by faith, those things that he's had integrity with. And so he does learn it, and he becomes a man of integrity, and he was called that as God was speaking to Solomon. Job, Job, after everything was taken away from him, the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there's none like him on all the earth? Blameless, upright man, one who fears God, shuns evil, and he still holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. Still maintains his integrity. Job 2.9, And his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. You know, it's funny because, you know, if I was Job, I'd be going, Lord, you took everything from me. Her, you leave. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and shall we not accept adversity? And all this Job did not sin with his lips. Integrity, remaining innocent before the Lord, allowing God to determine the outcome. That's it's integrity. It's hard. You know what's really hard is when you know that you have the power, that somebody has, you know, just done something, and you're going, well, that's not true. And you know what God's calling you to do, and so you do that, you maintain your integrity, but your flesh is saying, you know, if you do this, you could destroy that person and really reveal to the world who that person is. But that's not integrity. Integrity is remaining innocent. Just putting it in the Lord's hands. Don't get distracted. I've had great counsel um, my whole life uh, being a pastor. Great counsel. Godly men. And uh, the board here as well. That certain issues will come up and we just kind of go, what do you want to do? And I got to tell you, I'm, I'm a little bit more like David. Let's fight. This is wrong. And it just takes one person to say, you know what? This is what you're called to do right here. These are like the, the, the plains of Ono that, that Nehemiah uh, is brought to. And these people here are trying to distract him from building the wall. And I go, oh, so good. Go, wow. And people have been there to help me with my integrity. Just do what's right. Let God determine the outcome. It's difficult sometimes. It's very difficult. You want to just kind of, like David, the way that Nabal treated him, you know, and he's riding there with his men, and we are going to cut this dead dog's head off, is what he's saying. And what happens? Abigail shows up, speaks truth into his life, saying, let's not have your rulership start off as a rulership of blood. And as she speaks, he just kind of gets cut quick to the heart and says, it was the Lord that sent you my way. Wow. I love having counsel like that around me. And I'm always blinded for the first part of it. Always blinded, going, what about truth? What about this? What about that? And it's like we, we, we could jump on our little soapbox of what we think truth is, or we could say, okay, what was I called to do again? to reach people for the Lord Jesus Christ. What was I called to do? Pour into the people at Calvary Chapel, Castle Rock. What was I called to do? To be a light and a witness in Castle Rock. So what are you worried about this for? Because it's not right. Why don't you let me take care of that? Because you're taking a long time. I could do it a whole lot quicker, Lord. <laughs> you know? 
And, and, and that's kind of, kind of the place I've been. So, and, and yet the Lord makes it very clear. Integrity. Keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, but I don't like how. That's all right. Just keep doing what you're doing. Let me determine the outcome. Okay. We will meet in the golden city. That wraps up this Friday edition of Abiding in the Word with Pastor Dave Love. Join us again on Monday as we continue our study in the book of 2 Samuel. Fall is here, which means it's time for our annual Harvest Festival. On October 31st, Calvary Castle Rock will be hosting a wonderful free event for the whole family. The night will include carnival games, inflatables, high strikers, face painting, funnel cakes, food, and of course, lots of candy. So come on out and join us from 4 to 8 p.m. October 31st. We are located right off of I-25 and East Wolfensburger Road, directly behind Jack in the Box and the Shell Gas Station. If you'd like more information, please visit our website at calvarycr.com. That's calvarycr.com. Or you can call our church office at 303-663-2514. Thank you again for listening in today. And until our next time together, we want to encourage you to always be abiding in the Word of God.